Welcome back, guys, to the uh, film production podcast. Today is a bit of a special one. We have uh, both like a, a wonderful UK filmmaker, Claire Fowler, is here today, and her editor, um, Alec Staborski, is is here as well with us. And we're going to have a quick chat about their films and their work. And we've got a few of the students, other students, in as well today to have a chat with them uh, and ask them a few questions. Uh, I've got a little biography that Revis has lovingly written for me, um, for both of uh, Alec and uh, Claire. So I'll just run through it really quickly. Um, so Claire, originally from North Wales, uh, began her film, uh, began her career making documentary films, uh, and she now directs scripted television dramas in the UK and the US. Uh, Alec has also many great film and TV credits. Both Claire and Alec currently work in Los Angeles and New York. In this podcast, we'd like to focus on Claire's work as a writer-director and her creative collaboration with her editor, Alec. Uh, most recently, they've worked together on Claire's award-winning film, Salam. Salam is beautifully written and directed by Claire and beautifully edited by Alec. Claire's website describes Salam. Uh, a female Lyft driver navigates the night shift in New York City while waiting to hear life or death news from a family in Syria. Salam has won many awards and nominations at festivals, including the London Film Festival, the San Francisco Indie Fest, and the ECU European Independent Film Festival. Salam is critically acclaimed for its character-driven story and absolute lack of stereotypes. This is also why we, as a university, love Salam. Claire and Alec, I thank you so much for joining us today. This is a this is like this is awesome that we get to meet so many cool people. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. It's uh, it's quite a privilege. Thank you. Awesome. So, um, can we just like, can I just ask, like, how how did you guys how did you guys meet? Uh, I'm we're really curious about how, like what sort of what happened there. Um, so I'm going to sort of start the story, and then Alec is going to pick up on it. So in 2015, I was in Los Angeles at the American Film Institute's um, short course, which is uh, called the Directing Workshop for Women, which was um, a workshop that was created, I think it was about 40 years ago, um, in response back then to the fact that there really weren't any opportunities for women. And I don't believe women at that time could enter the American Film Institute as students. I might be wrong on that. Um, so all of this might be wrong, actually. But I think that that's what I believe. Uh, so I was doing this workshop, and as part of the workshop, I was making a film called Noodles. And um, uh, we had quite a fast turnaround. It was kind of do, do the workshop, which was a month long, and then maybe two months later, shoot the film. And I wasn't really familiar with LA. And uh, it was all very whirlwindy and intense. And as happens when you make short films or any kind of film, there was lots of you know fires to put out and things going wrong and people dropping out and just crises after crises and it was really hard and I um when I came when I was coming to the end of the process of of uh production I realized I really really did not want to stay in LA <laughs> to, to do my editing because I didn't, really didn't know how long it would take and I was homesick because I was living in New York at that time um and I didn't have an editor in New York so I kind of put some feelers out I think it was on Facebook I think I just said, does anybody know a, um, a, a hungry, great New York editor? And then a script supervisor friend of mine pointed me in the direction of an editor called Ford, 
who um, edited the horror film The Witch. I think at that time The Witch hadn't come out, but maybe she edited it. So she was kind of on the up and really busy. Um, and she pointed me in the direction of Alec. Alex, do you have anything else to add to that? <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, that's 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 how it all started. And uh, Louise Ford, um, I coincidentally had in on my very first job in New York, I had interned on a movie, um, and she was also interning on it as well. So we were actually rotating days uh, for an editor, um, and so I got to know her through that. And then, um, yeah, we always kind of kept in touch, um, which I think is one of the great things about kind of I don't know the post-production kind of editorial community. It's it's pretty small and um, yeah, you just meet wonderful people. And so, yeah, um, it was, I think I had reached out to her just prior to that, just being like, um, I had worked in as an assistant editor and, um, on quite a few things and was just trying to find a way to kind of break into um, kind of editing my um, on my own as well with shorts. And yeah, she thought of me and passed my name on to Claire and, um, yeah, I was very nervous meeting with Claire for the first time. I, I knew it was going to be good, and I knew Claire was very good. Um, so we met for coffee, and uh, Claire handed me the drive. And, um, you know, I was kind of curious about what direction to kind of take the short. And uh, Claire was very good about just, I don't know, looking for my own interpretation. Um, and then, you know, with she didn't give me very much direction. And... Yeah, it was just like, you know, let's meet in the next week and a half and, you know, screen the assembly. And um, yeah, um, and that's kind of how it started. And of course, I felt like, you know, <laughs> I had messed a lot of things up in the assembly or, um, you know, didn't get it, you know, as good as I wanted. But Claire was so uh, just nice with me. And, you know, we just started working together and, you know going through all the footage and yeah, working from there. So um, yeah, that's kind of how it all started. Yeah, that's awesome. I was uh, just curious about the, um, so Noodles was the first film that you guys worked together on then? Uh, correct. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, was, sorry, I, we're already going off script, but I have one quick question about Noodles. Was it, was it always intended to be non-linear and sort of played backwards? Was that always the idea? And did you find anything, you know, was yeah. there any sort of complications in that, like sort of doing it in that way? Um, it had been, the script had been worked up almost to death, I would say. I wrote the script when I was at Columbia University um, back in 2010 and the first um, version of it was a mess and I remember going into that workshop and people were like what is going on the story makes no sense and then I said well it's meant to be backwards and they were like oh you know, so then we kind of figured out I think really the thing uh, the, the most kind of the guiding principle for when you're doing a a story that goes backwards in that way is kind of like providing a question and an answer in each scene or at least kind of having guiding like like little moments in the story that kind of orient you and, and kind of you know help you figure out where you are um, so it's like a sort of figuring out with a question and answer approach and then I think because it has been we had planned it 
I had planned it that way. I'd written it that way and I'd planned to shoot it that way. So I was thinking about where am I leaving this scene and where am I entering the next scene. So I, I think it wasn't it wasn't anything in terms of story that um, created problems, you know, or in terms of um, the chronology that created problems. There was other problems, of course, like one of the scenes, I think for a couple of days we had a terrible sound man and um, the scene on the, this, I don't know if anyone's seen it, but there's a scene on the roof where um, the girl, Mika, meets her ex-boyfriend and they sit on yeah. the roof and they smoke a spliff and they talk. And we had to ADR every single one of her lines. In that oh, scene. no. And I was terrified, terrified of ADR because I just had this idea that it was going to look awful and be so obvious and you know like how could you possibly get the performance and somehow we did it so that was the biggest problem i think for me um in post well as a watch i i couldn't tell that that scene was adr so you guys obviously did a very good job of it <laughs> thank you <laughs> did you want to add anything to that alec or um do, do you want to do you want us to move on to the uh, first set of questions from students uh, yeah, I think we can just move on. I mean, I guess if I were to say anything, um, yeah, that was, as Claire said, it was written that way. And we never even tried doing it the other way around. Yeah. It was just, it was the way that it was always intended to be uh, seen. And yeah, it was written that way. And yeah, we don't, I don't even think we ever talked about it, Claire, did we, about putting it in linear order? Or it's just, that's the way it was always no. was. Yeah. <laughs> I was very firmly against it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Sorry. I just I just had that quick. I just thought that quick question then. Anyway, um, so our first set of questions are from uh, second year filmmaker Louis. I'm going to mute my mic and I'll just leave him to it. And obviously, yeah, and he can just go. I'll, I'll pop in every now and again. But thank God you won't have to hear any more of me. So I'll be I'll be back. <laughs> no, thank Louis, you. Louis, yeah, thank Louis you. take it away. All right. Thank you. Um, first, of all, I just want to say thank you for, for coming like, I'm really excited to get the opportunity to talk to you. So, so thank you for giving us your time. Um, Claire, you, you've said before that uh, you were inspired to write Salam due to the political turmoil of 2016 and out of wanting to represent uh, Muslim people who resembled your own Palestinian friends. How did you balance these inspirations of story and character when you were writing it? Uh, did you kind of start find yourself with a story in mind and then writing characters to fit it? Or did you focus on the characters and then kind of have the story grow from them? a little bit about how or why it evolved or how the story evolved um so I, I had two main reasons for wanting to make salam um and which i did write uh in 2016 during the presidential um election which was obviously uh the rundown to this kind of awful situation which we find ourselves in now with donald trump as president uh, two main reasons for wanting to make Salam. So number one was to show solidarity as a fellow immigrant um, because Donald Trump was so very firmly anti-Muslim um, and he, you know, took every opportunity to uh, talk about um, and deride immigrants and Muslims specifically. And the second reason, um, I wanted to take direct aim at the prejudices and the stereotypes that Trump was promoting um, so I think as, as a white person, I knew what the misconceptions and, um, the prejudices that 
some, not everyone obviously, some of the more ignorant Americans and British people held. So I wanted to directly attack those, but in um, not an aggressive way, in a, in a way that was representative. I wanted to represent um, people that I knew, represent a, um, a character that I felt was um, realistic. I also felt was the kind of person that um, Donald Trump and his followers and, and you know people who want to promote hate did not even consider existing. So I feel like story and characters is kind of like a chicken and egg situation. So it's sort of hard to separate how they evolve. But I did know that I wanted to make a film with a female character and I wanted her to be Palestinian uh, because I had spent time in Palestine and one of the biggest fears the Palestinian people have is of being forgotten by the world and they talk about that a lot my friends over there talked about that a lot so I really wanted to kind of show them in a way that I hadn't forgotten them and um, when I was in Palestine I met a Palestinian American woman who had grown up in Chicago and then moved back to Palestine and she was really cool. She had on these like giant sunglasses, a headscarf, uh, a sports car, and she was listening to like banging rap when she picked me up to take me to go and smoke um, a hooker pipe. I was like, she's really cool and nobody in America, or not, not nobody, but many people in America would have no idea that somebody this cool would be in this tiny town of Ramallah in Palestine. And I really wanna show them that this kind of person exists. So that was kind of the inception. Cool, thank you very much. Um, and Alec, how did you strike the balance in the edit between kind of allowing the characters to shine through while also pushing the narrative forwards? And were there any areas you really struggled with while making the film? Um, the edit for Salam was pretty fast and I was actually on another job or, you know, I was kind of had some other things going on. And so it moved pretty fast. So there, there was nothing in particular that um, we struggled with exactly. Um, it was just more of an issue of time. And I was actually pulled this up. And um, from our first assembly that Claire and I did together, it was almost 19 minutes long. And within two weeks, we already had it down to 13 minutes. So. Um, yeah, we were moving pretty quickly, and I felt like if um, at anything, it was just adding a little bit of back um, to just make the beats feel like it was um, things were moving a little bit slower. Um, uh, whereas I felt like we we're, especially after doing noodles, where we're it was a little bit more languid paced at times. Where I felt like Salam, we were trying to, I don't know, just keeping the the narrative moving forward at all times. So Claire is a great editor and she was always looking at ways to just tighten it as much as possible. And um, yeah, there were some driving sequences that we took out, um, uh, just kind of nighttime driving. Um, yeah, and just to kind of keep that momentum moving forward. And that was something that Claire just immediately was like, we don't need this um, and, and took it out. So I think, and then there are a couple um, moments in particular, like when Audrey first gets in the car and is, um pretty pretty rude to salam there was a beat there that um we were just trying to make um you know we didn't want to sit on it too much and um kind of revel in that but like at the same time just making sure to sit in those kind of emotional uh parts um 
to, to let those land a little bit more um, while just keeping the momentum uh, moving as fast as possible. Thank you. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. Hey, so um, our next questions are from uh, second year filmmaker Bethany. Um, Claire, have your experiences directing documentary changed the way that you view fiction? Um, I think directing docs has definitely informed my approach. Um, it might be why I find drama so compelling. I wouldn't exactly be able to say what it is because I don't really know what it is or how other people work, like how how they approach a story, why they would kind of approach that story. I think for me, when I went to film school, I had already directed a bunch of documentaries and I directed two in Palestine. And then film school for me was, you know, it was basically learning how to direct fiction. And I think I approached it initially in a very uh, free and easy and laissez-faire kind of verite style. So I was really open to just picking up the camera and moving around and um, using jump cuts, you know, and, and I felt very comfortable with that. But I also wanted to know how to build a scene using coverage and you know what shot selection was and how different plans shots can affect um scene so yes it did definitely and it continues to but there was also a process of education that i had to go through um my next question is um in salam the characters speak arabic with one another um, were you both familiar with the language? And if not, what was it like directing and editing actors who were speaking another language? I was um, a tiny bit familiar with Arabic because I had spent a few months there. And it, one, one of the times I was in Palestine, I actually lived with a Palestinian family. They had this little kind of empty house just out the back of their garden. It was almost like a... Like a know a disused barn or something so it was all camping um so and they couldn't speak english so they spoke arabic to me all the time and i you know obviously you sort of you basic words and phrases which definitely helps um but i made sure i had a language consultant on that and she was familiar with the syrian dialect because uh, we are actors we had um cal who plays rashad he is syrian uh, we have Hannah, who is Lebanese and Palestinian, and then we have uh, Jessica, who plays Hala, who is um, Lebanese and Australian. And Jessica's language skills um, were limited in terms of Arabic, so it really, really was great Sarah on set to, to help her, because she needed the help. The other two, obviously, Arabic is their first language, so um, Hannah was able to, you know, uh, pick up on nuances of the Syrian dialect and the Syrian accent that I had no clue about and that Sarah was kind of in charge of. So I think for me, it's about it's about collaboration, you know, and the, the actors um, knew that there was that I didn't speak well enough to be able to to direct them on for that particular aspect of um, the film but that's you know that's why you you have collaborators and that's why you kind of outsource work and, and work together with other people um, and then with, with the edit I 
I think it was I think it was more of a mental block for Alec. I think he really freaked out at first. Yeah. Um, especially because um, there was one scene that the, the first, the scene where we first meet the family when Salam goes into the house, there was a little bit of imp- improvisation there where I think uh, Rashad and Hala uh, were encouraged to improvise, which was great for Cal because, you know, uh, that's his thing and he speaks, Arabic and he's a great comedian and he really enjoyed it and Jessica was just kind of like like you can see the fear in her eyes so you know we had to kind of coach her through that a little bit but then obviously Alec coming in he was just like I don't know what they're saying because it's on script but Alec do you want to talk a bit more about that? Oh yeah I was gonna say I definitely have to backtrack on that last question of anything I struggled with that was that was definitely one of the parts where um yeah, I, um, I, 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 I said to Claire that I, I, that I couldn't do those scenes without uh, her, her help. Or uh, yeah, I was definitely struggle because of yeah, Rashad was improving, and you know, I was trying to figure it out based on the transcripts and things like that, what was being said. And um, yeah, I, I was not able to do it um, without the help of Claire. So that was one of the hardest parts of, uh, for sure. And yeah, or. Uh, relied heavily upon, you know, kind of like what Claire was saying before, just the collaboration, and, you know, just working with other people and just making sure you have the best performances and the correct line readings. Uh, thank you very much. Um, my next question is uh, for Claire, and it's what about Hannah Shamu's audition or previous work made you think this is Salam? So when I was casting for Salam, um, it was it was a difficult process. I thought it would be a little bit easier than it was because New York does have quite a vibrant Middle Eastern community, but of course the, there are not a huge amount of Middle Eastern actors based there. So I, you know, searched for all the Middle Eastern actors of that age range that I could find. Um, I put open casting calls and I held auditions. And it was hard because, you know, people just, nobody was quite right. Like Jessica came in, but um, Arabic's not her first language. And she didn't really have any knowledge of the Middle East, even though she had, you know, she had a little bit of knowledge of the Middle East, but I think she'd only been to Lebanon once. And it was like two weeks before she auditioned for me or two weeks after she auditioned for me, even though she is of Lebanese descent and her parents speak Arabic. Um, so. Jessica's great, but she she couldn't be Salam for those reasons. Um, so which is why I cast her anyway. And then I just couldn't find anyone who was quite right, so I started scouring IMDb and finding movies that had been shot in Israel and seeing if those actors had any connection to the states, uh, Israel and Palestine. Seeing if those actors had any connection to the states. Uh, so maybe they were based here now, um, had working green cards or, you know, anything like that. And I found one actor um, who'd been in the Bill Murray film, and I forget the name of it, and she was based in Canada. She was based in Toronto. So I reached out to her manager, and her manager said that she was unavailable. She'd love to do it, but she just couldn't. I think she only had a visa for Canada, and she was kind of tied into this TV show but the manager represented other Middle Eastern actors that I hadn't yet heard of. And she said, what about Hannah? 
and Hannah was, I think, fresh out of drama school, and the only film I believe she'd acted in at that point, I might be wrong, was her mom's film. Her mother's a filmmaker, and she made a film called One Thousand Nights. So I saw a clip of this on, I think it was YouTube or something like that. So I, I saw Hannah that way, and it was very short, and it was hard to tell exactly, but there was definitely something about her spirit. Like she was completely committed to this this role and the scene that I saw her in, I think her sister had been killed by um, Israeli soldiers or something. And, you know, that's a hard scene. You have to, you know, show a huge amount of emotion. And at that point she was an untrained actress and she was great. So I knew that she, she had it in her. Um, I just kind of had to trust that, you know, I could bring it out of her again because when I reached out to Hannah, she was in London because Hannah's quite an international person. She has family in London, family in Texas, family in Lebanon, family in Palestine. So um, she was in London. She read the script and she really liked it and she really wanted to do it. But she was not available to audition because she was in London. And I didn't feel, uh, I didn't feel like I was going to get anything from asking her to self-take. At this point, because I'd already seen her work, um, we spoke on the phone. She had a feeling for the character. So we just cast her. And it was a bit of a leap of faith, to be honest. And it really was an amazing luck. And, yeah, instincts, I guess, and amazing luck that she was fantastic. Um, my final question is, um, in Salam, was there anything about Hannah Shamoon's performance that taught you something new about the character? Um, yeah, I think what you're looking for when you cast an actor is somebody who transforms that character into more than you had in your head. I'm not really interested in actors coming to set and behaving like robots and doing everything that I had in my head, you know, as if I, they're puppets and I'm pulling the strings. And Hannah definitely did that. She came... Um, she had thoughts on the script. She wasn't too, some actors are very kind of dictatorial. <laughs> you know, they have thoughts on the script and then they expect you to kind of change it and turn it into the script they want. Hannah didn't do that. She had some good thoughts on the script, on the dialogue, um, good questions. Uh, you know, some, there was always moments where I had to kind of whisper a couple of directions to get her to kind of change direction or something but yeah she she came and she created the land we couldn't alec and i were saying we couldn't imagine anybody else playing that character now all right thank you very much thank you awesome so our next set of question uh well just one question is actually from uh dan uh who's a director in third year hello um yeah i've only got one question Hi. hey I just wanted to know, um, I suppose, in your rehearsal process, what sort of strategies do you employ to immerse your cast in the worlds of your stories? Um, rehearsals are really rare, actually. Oh, really? I feel like, yes, uh, for different reasons. For us, it was because we couldn't get our cast in the same place until like the day before. 
Um, so I think with Salam, what we concentrated on, we had one, we had one day of rehearsal. So what we concentrated on was bringing the kids together with the adult cast members because they hadn't met them before and getting them really comfortable with the adults. And also the kids were from, uh, I think, Dean, um, Faiz um, Hamid, he is from an Egyptian American family. Um, and then the little girl is from a Lebanese American family, but neither of them really, they, they're accustomed to Arabic. They're, Arabic is spoken to them, but they didn't really speak it as happens a lot in you know multiple generations of being in a different country. Um, so it was getting them accustomed to having people speak Arabic to them and then have to reply in Arabic. So we had to kind of, it was really about prioritizing the kids and you know getting everybody comfortable together. Um, and I think it's kind of, I don't think it used to be the case, but the way um, film and TV has developed now is that everything is so much about saving money that it's, you rarely get opportunities to rehearse. I, I was reading something about normal people and I think they had some rehearsal time. Um, but normally on, say if it's a TV set, and it's probably the same for most features actually, the rehearsal is maybe the half an hour on set, you know, before before they start tweaking the lights. <laughs> you know, you get on set at your call time, you, you arrive on the set that you're starting on and you'll block it out very quickly. And then you'll maybe rehearse it a bit more or maybe you'll just block it out and then you'll call the crew in and show the crew and then the crew, crew will leave or the crew will carry on with whatever they're doing, like the lights or, you know, tweaking the props and the, and the, the set dressing. And then when, they, when the actors come back, that's when you might do a bit more of a rehearsal. So you can either do it like the beginning of the day or just before you're shooting. But apart from that, it's really rare to get days and days of rehearsal. And if you cast the right people, I, you don't need days and days. Like we, we did actually meet. So that's, that's another thing. I think sometimes talking about the characters and making sure that you all understand who the characters are, yeah. is, that is the rehearsal. So when um, we were fitting the actors for costumes, we went to Leslie Bibb's apartment. Um, so Leslie Bibb plays Audrey. And she is, she's the girlfriend of Sam Rockwell. And this was just before Sam Rockwell won his Oscar. <laughs> so oh, we went to Leslie Bibb's apartment in the Lower East Side. I think it was the Lower East Side. And uh, Sam was there and she was making eggs for him. And he was really nice. But none of us knew that he was going to win an Oscar like two months later or whatever it was. And then Hannah came and we sat around and we read through the script and they made suggestions for changes. We actually struck maybe one scene or two scenes. And then we talked about the characters and like Leslie kind of adjusted the character of Audrey to, to what she wanted. And Hannah talked about her character, about, you know, the reason why these two completely different women have a connection on this night. So that was, that's the kind of the prep work. And that's really important. Like, even if you don't have rehearsal time, you definitely, you need to sit down and really talk through the character and figure out 
that you you know make sure that you're all on the same page and figure out who who is this character because you had you create it you write it on the page but then you're handing it over to somebody else who is an artist and they're going to have their own interpretations and bring their own experiences to it so i think it's about being open to that okay well thank you very much <laughs> thank you uh, I just really quickly wanted to throw in a quick question uh, here. It's it's a little bit related, but I was wondering how many days shoot that uh, Salam was for you guys, and how how that sort of went general like generally as a as an actual filmmaking process. Um, yes, that's a good question. Salam was a weird one because because um, I ended up sort of taking on a producer role. Most of the time you do take on a producer role when you're doing low budget projects that are your own. It's very, very rare that you'll find some amazing selfless committed individual who will pop with all of the shit that is involved with making a film for no money. Uh, so you have to kind of be prepared for that. But because I was so involved in the producing of it, I got to also decide what my schedule was going to be. and. Um, Salam has kind of unique demands. Uh, I think it was, uh, we needed like, I think basically we shot for, I think it was four days in total, but I think we shot for like three full days and then two kind of half days. So the very first day we only shot for a few hours and um, we shot Salam and Audrey in the car um, going back to the house after being up all night and and we had to you know drive over the Brooklyn Bridge over and over and over again and that was quite an involved thing to do so you know we needed quite a lot of time just for that and then we also shot Salam being on the subway and um, I think it was I can't remember if it was like a Sunday afternoon or something it was like a day where it was kind of quiet we knew that we needed to get on the subway when it wasn't too busy or too crazy um, and then we went to Times Square and shot her doing the Times Square stuff so that was all about half a day and then and then I think we had two full days and then actually maybe it was like four days three and a half I'm really sorry I actually can't really remember <laughs> it was like no it's all right three, but we split it up very strange and then we did an overnight and we did that upstate in upstate New York which was about a two-hour drive, I think, from where we were, maybe a two-and-a-half-hour drive. So that was a bit involved because, um, you know, obviously you have to get everybody everybody up there, and even a really tiny production like ours, it's just kind of hard to figure out. And, you know, we had a lot of things go wrong because um, things go wrong when you don't have money and you're not employing professionals, you know? Like, the, the driver of the van just didn't turn up and we didn't know where our costumes were <laughs> and then the driver of the other van for the crew um got the time wrong or lost a van or something crazy like that so how could you lose a van up that evening <sighs> i know everybody ended up turning up that evening about two hours late which is unheard of on a film set you, you were never ever late you know so especially not the hot the entire crew so we just had loads of crazy things happen but i think because I'd been involved in the scheduling, I'd given myself quite a generous schedule. So, you know, we just, 
luckily that extra padding just kind of absorbed the shock of all of the things going wrong yeah that's awesome sorry i sorry i sort of dropped you in it a bit there actually i uh <laughs> done planned questions no it's fine sorry alec did you want to say something about that as well oh uh, no um claire has a very good memory yeah and then the diner scene was on the last day is that right claire i don't know if you said that or yeah that was the, the overnight yeah yeah that diner scene was uh is really incredible by the way it all it actually it, it moves me every single time i watch it like i think it's the 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 like the, 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 the scene is just created so nicely and the setup to it as well sorry i just a bit <laughs> yeah i watched it again today oh, just no, to remind thanks. myself yeah such a good film um let's have a quick look here uh yeah, it was good it was we were we were lucky that um hannah uh, cried in the uh, in the close-up so it's good to let your actors know when you're doing the close-up so they know when to uh, let let loose yeah 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 it, it really that i think that bit really sticks with me actually when you see her like crying a little bit as well and you know i think uh, sorry yeah <laughs> i will move on to uh grace anyway um so our next question is uh editor third year editor grace uh so take it away grace <laughs> um, hi Claire and Alec, it's so great to meet you. Um, thank you so much for giving up the time to chat with us. Um, Claire, I was wondering how involved do you like to be in the editing process? Um, did you work closely with Alec in the cutting room or do you prefer to take a step back? So um, I think it's really important to let the editor do their first assembly without you kind of poking your fingers in there, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, and I, I can't remember, Alex might remember who said this, but I think there's nothing more awful than looking at your first assembly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when, when you look at the rushes, they're always, not always, they're hopefully exciting because they're full of potential. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the first assembly and it's too long because it has to be too long because everything is in there and the timing is off and, and maybe not even the right performances are in there. You know, it's, it's um but it has to happen you know it's the first draft it has to be splurged out yeah um so i always try and let the editor just do the first assembly without me and then um and then i'm in the room with them <laughs> and i hope i hope i'm not a real pain in the ass <laughs> i don't know alex can say can say this but we work really closely, like Alex, sometimes, because we're in the room and sometimes I'll just be on my phone, you know, and Alex, and Alex will be doing his thing. And then other times I'm engaged and I'm like, oh no, can you try that? Can you try shaving a frame off here? Or let's look and see if we can find a different performance that, you know, matches better or just is a bit more animated or something, you know, so it's, it, I'm pretty involved, but Alec, you can take over and say what you think about that. <laughs> yeah, I would say Claire is very involved, which I like. Um, and also Claire also gives very clear instructions uh, or just maybe not even instructions, but just what she's looking for. And then she's also just very open about what she thinks is not working, which yeah. I think is a hard thing to articulate, especially if it's something that happened on set. You know, as Claire was saying, there's just things that happen, like a driver might not show up or <laughs> I don't know, you're just limited to time or other things that are, you know, are just, hard, you know, you know, there, there's maybe shots you want to get that you're not able to get or you're trying to get a performance. And 
Um, yeah, that's something I just respect a lot about Claire because she's, I think it's one thing it's hard as an editor is getting into that headspace of the director and being like, what are they thinking? And sometimes mm -hmm. you can just, just ask, but Claire is very open about all those things like, hey, I didn't get the shot or, you know, I was really trying to get this and, you know, is there anything we can do um, to make that work? Um, so, so there's that part of it. And yeah, she, we work very closely together, but at the same time, uh, Claire is also very good about um, taking a step back, as she said, um, and then just communicating that as well, just being like, hey, um, a lot of times they're a bit more abstract or ambiguous sequences. I feel like there was less of that on Salam um, mm. because we, we'd taken out some of the driving scenes that were like kind of designed to be more montages. Right. But like in, in Noodles in particular, there are some, there was like one montage, montage sequence in particular that um, Claire just gave me a lot of kind of freedom to work with that on my own time. But yeah, a lot That's of times cool. we're, yeah, um, we go through the, uh, the footage together. And um, one thing I really learned from Claire uh, is just shot selection. Um, and so that shot in the diner where Salam cries, um, like that's like one of those examples of um, just, I mean, fortunately that happened in the close up, but that was something that like right when we started, you know, Claire wasn't like telling me I have to use that or we have to use that. But she's mm. like, I think we know, she's like with that shot and then the last shot of the film, she was like, I, I know what shot I want to be in. And then <laughs> she kind of let me do my own thing. But then, you know, that's she already knew, you know, she's like, that's the shot we're going to be on. <laughs> uh, so I learned. A, I feel like I've learned. I remember, a, Alex. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, when we were doing that diner scene, um, I remember there was a, there was a continuity thing with Hannah's arm that I think we'd we edited the scene and it was really great and we hadn't noticed this continuity thing as you don't often because you know you're, you're too into the scene and then one day we looked at the scene and I noticed that Hannah's arm on the over the shoulder maybe her arm was up and then when you cut to her her arm was down and all of a sudden it just was tormenting me and I just <laughs> could not deal with it so I was like Alex please what do we do I just I just don't know what to do and he just went off and I think do you remember it Alex? Wait, no, I don't. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> oh, okay. So I just, because normally he remembers the edit really well and I just remember all of the bad stuff in production. <laughs> but I think what he did is he cut from, from Salam to Audrey and then back to Salam so she could have put her arm down in between. And it didn't feel like a band aid. It kind of was a band aid, but actually it felt kind of good. It was nice to see Audrey again and see how she's responding to Salam at that moment. So that was like, sometimes it's about identifying problems and one or other or both of you will find the solution. Yeah. Well, it seems like you guys have like a really good balance. Um, and I was wondering, um, because I found it really hard um, not having my director like in the edit suite with me editing our final year film. Um, and I was wondering if you guys had any projects interrupted by the pandemic and like, how did you overcome it? <laughs> uh, we, yeah, we can both answer this, but not, we didn't have any um, projects that we were working on together. And I didn't have um, any films of my own. 
but I, I also work as a script supervisor um, be, just because I, I need money and it's really, yeah. really hard to make a living as a director. Um, yeah. And I, I will say this, I still think it's really hard as a female in this industry. I still just think we haven't gone far enough to redress the gender imbalance. Um, but uh, I was working on a pilot as a script supervisor and the pilot is called The Brides. And it was by uh, uh, the guy who did Riverdale and Sabrina right. the Teenage Witch. Oh, cool. Um, and so it was Greg Berlanti's company. And it was in this Yonkers, which is in, um, which is north of New York. It's kind of uh, Westchester area, which is just like north of New York, kind of sort of close to the Bronx. Um, so we were on set and just seeing all of this you know, the news about the pandemic. And it felt like we were sort of on this island because we were so isolated. And, you know, it felt like the virus was kind of closing in on us. Oh, <laughs> so we were all going to work every day and just thinking, is this going to be our last day? Is this going to be our last day? And then yeah. finally we were all sent home and there was like a week left of shooting and we didn't oh, get no. to do it. But, yeah, that was pretty sucky. But then they paid us for that week anyway because um, it yeah, wasn't as much money as we would normally make. Yeah, it was really nice of them. They didn't have to do that. Yeah. Um, but I've since since I've been stuck at home, I have been writing a lot, so that's been nice. But Alec, what about you? You you've been busy because yeah. Uh, yeah, I am working on a few different things right now. Fortunately, I feel very lucky that um some things that just kind of um you know are still being shot or were shot just before the lockdown, um, were able to kind of uh, come my way. So, um, yeah, so I am working on a few things. And, it, you know, it is much, I don't know if this kind of ties into the question, but, you know, very different from working, you know, with Claire, like in a room, you know, where you're going through the footage together. And, yeah. uh, you know, um, so, yeah, I mean, the process for me has been, um, yeah, emailing and, posting cuts and you know the, yeah. the process is much different and takes longer yeah. Uh, but yeah trying to do phone calls and you know trying to I don't know communicate the thoughts um, as, as clearly as possible so yeah it's very different um, um, which I think has its benefits in some ways but like um, is also yeah uh, challenging in its own way for sure yeah absolutely well that's all been so interesting thank you so much Oh yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So we have a few more questions, which I will ask um, because we still have enough time. Uh, but I have one question again. It's, I'm an editor, so I'm like obviously drawn to these editing questions. But I was just wondering, you guys, um, Claire, are you an, like, a, do you know little bits and bobs about editing? So like, because uh, Alec was saying how clearly you can describe to to him how how you want the cut to be do you understand the the actual physical process of like cutting together a sequence and stuff and does that help like making you know giving him some informed information uh and this might be useful for other directors who are listening uh the student directors maybe so, so they can learn something like that yeah um i i edited all of my own stuff for years um so i started off making weird little art films and then I uh, moved into documentary films and when I moved into stuff that was more complex 
I that's when I got an editor and initially it wasn't Alex we didn't know each other and I wasn't living in the States um, but I think it, it was really it's really really helpful to know how to edit and I actually love editing I really it's like it's so absorbing and it's you know it's, it's just it's like problem solving but narrative problem solving and visual problem solving and it's just really really fun and I definitely think it helps I think it helps to know how to put together a story visually I think it helps to know like how how a few frames can really change just the the rhythm or the 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 feel or the the kind of the mood of the piece so yeah I, I would definitely say to anyone that if they can learn how to edit they should take that opportunity and then just edit some stuff themselves like right now I, I just got a new computer and I don't have an editing program on it um but I did and this is making me sound so old I am so old but initially I started editing on this program called media 100s and I was taught that at university and it was like a, I think it was like a hardware program. So I think, you know, it's not like you could just put it on your laptop or anything. And then I used Adobe Premiere and then I used Final Cut. And now Final Cut is kind of, Alec can speak more to that, but it seems like it's kind of on the way out. And Alec uses Avid and um, I think he uses, I can't remember what else he uses, but maybe Premiere, but he can, he can say. But we use Avid together and I think I'm, probably gonna get um avid back on my computer but i'm terrible at avid because it's completely different to all of the other edit editing programs that i've used and it forces you to edit as if you know almost like you're on film again like you really have to think about the cuts and i was always very kind of laissez-faire and free and easy and just kind of slot this in here and slot this in there and avid won't let you do that yeah, I can see where you're coming from, definitely. But a good bridge I find between those is uh, DaVinci. And obviously DaVinci's free as well. So I keep pushing this on everyone that I know. Oh, I tell them to use DaVinci. But uh, <laughs> yeah, DaVinci's an awesome program, guys. I'm not sponsored by them, I promise. <laughs> uh, this is Francis. Can I break in? Also, sorry. This is totally unscripted. Yeah, hey, yeah. You may really like the new um, Avid user interface. Um, Alec, are you using the Avid 2019? Uh, I am on one project uh, I'm doing. Um, yeah, I wanted to learn it, but I am on another project where I'm using, I can't remember exactly what it is. It's like maybe 2019.4. I can't remember what it is, but yeah, I'm using both of them now, but I do want to learn the 2020. So I've been using that. Yeah, see, I haven't even seen 2020 yet. Um, and we're still, we haven't upgraded to 2019 at the uni yet. So our students were, are still on 2018, but hopefully that changes before we go back. You know, we're all on lockdown. But um, do you like 2019? And do you think Claire might enjoy working with that? Or would you say, just like Charlie, steer her toward Da Vinci? Um, I, well, yeah, Claire has asked me before about editing. Um, Claire is a, a very good editor. Um, and and I, I've learned a lot from her. Um, so I think she could learn it just because she shuts, she's such a good editor. Um, and I try to like, when I'm very teaching editing to anybody, I just try to remind people like, um, like editing is just, it's not only, but a lot of times it's in and out points. 
So it's like looking where you want to start the shot and end it and then just start from there and then you can start massaging and you know getting a little bit more complicated in the edit like rolling it you know doing the l type cuts and things like that but um like ultimately like and this is the thing i really learned from claire is just shot selection and the diner scene was mentioned before but that was something that there was also um uh it wasn't a diner scene but it was a the chinese restaurant and noodles it was kind of a similar scene where uh noodles the kind of general approach to it was um and i guess this kind of extends outside of editing but it like goes into directing as claire is very good at visualizing her shots and where she wants to use them and how so like in noodles the idea was you know it was start on a close-up and then get a bit wider and then get you know not always but kind of closer towards the end um and so the diner scene in salam it was something before we even like started doing the scene we just talked about like all right like let's start wide move into the profiles and then as it starts to become a bit more intimate we flip around and we start you know seeing the front of their faces and then to like then the end you know we get to the close-up where she cries um so yeah i mean claire is very good at like uh talking about that stuff and how the shots should be used because i think as you're just going through all the footage it's um it can become a bit daunting when you have all these options but if you just kind of think about an approach be like you know we want to be in the close-up for these lines or we want to be in the profiles for these shots like it helps that um but yeah so yeah claire is an excellent editor i think she could learn avid if she wants to, if she would like to but uh yeah premiere and uh, da vinci are also great yeah Nice. And Claire, I think you're going to be directing television in, in Hollywood. So then Alec will, will have to come out to L.A. to do to do the work. Uh, you're in the union, right, Alec? Uh, I am. OK. And yeah, I, I think Claire's TV directing career in Hollywood will take off soon. But I'm going to sign off. Thank you. Oh, thank you. That's nice of you. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, so we do have a few more questions. I'll just uh, I'll run through them now. So while you've both worked on genre pieces throughout your careers, the short you've made the shorts you've made together tend to be far more like realist. Uh, do you plan to create any genre pieces together in the future? Well, I am in development, or I will be very soon, um, with BBC Films. It's a matter of signing a contract and. Um, on a feature film that is it's a drama but it's also a thriller and it's set in north wales um it does have a couple of um characters in it and so that's kind of it's it's a a meld of genres i would say there's drama but there's a bit of a thriller element to it and maybe there might even be like a touch of supernatural um but more, when I say supernatural, I think, you know, the way Portrait of a Lady Burning has those kind of like, almost like theatrical moments where um, the, uh, the main character kind of sees her, her lover appear behind her, illuminated and then kind of disappear again. And it looks very theatrical to me, which is what some people really love that. And it's not my favorite kind of style, but I love that film. Um, and I think that is, you know, that that's a, a, it's a romantic film. It's a love story, but it has, it engages with other genres. So I think 
um, hopefully we'll be able to work on that together. I don't know. Yeah, awesome. Um, let's have a quick look here. So the next one that we have here is uh, as um, screenwriting students, uh, we're told it's important to write even when we don't feel inspired. Uh, many writers, and, and I'm sure you do as well, experience droughts and they don't feel inspired. Uh, do you experience them? Uh, and if so, how do you push yourself through that drought and how do you continue to start writing again especially in times like these as well where you know I know things are starting back up again but you know we're still in a little bit of where you might not feel as inspired it's really really hard right now <laughs> and I, I definitely remember in the first week of lockdown there was this um, idea that we were all gonna you know start those projects that we'd never had enough time to start and everybody was going to write a best-selling novel and the you know Oscar-winning feature scripts and then you know as is inevitable in the cycle of the internet then there came the no be kind to yourself it doesn't matter you can just you know bake a loaf of bread or even just eat some toast and that's enough for today um, and I think it's just about being realistic with yourself you know I have tried um, I had a project, a writing project that isn't a, a screenplay that's just for me that I had started last summer and then it had been interrupted by some, some paid jobs, you know, script supervising jobs that really are just like purely money jobs and um, they're on set jobs so they're very time consuming and very exhausting and it's, it's really, really hard. Like there's definitely no way you're writing um, when you've done like a 12 or a 14 hour day, you're not going to go home and write, you're not even going to write a text message after a 12 and a 14 hour day. Um, yeah, but yeah. I did, whenever I had the chance, I picked up my project again and it was always really hard. And all I said to myself was, um, just write, this is going to be shit the first day or even first week of writing again. Um, it's going to be probably the worst part of this project but you just have to find a way into it somehow and the only way into writing is to write um so when I've stopped my project for whatever reason and sometimes I stopped my project here because you know, stuff has just felt really upsetting and overwhelming and I'm like I really want to write today but I also just feel like I just want to curl up on my sofa with a hot water bottle even though I'm in LA um that's the Brit in me. Um, and when I do start writing again, I'm like a little bit kinder to myself. Like I'll try and have um, goals, daily goals, like whether it's 500 words or a thousand words or three pages of screenplay or six pages of screenplay. But if I'm feeling a little bit vulnerable, I'll, I'll, I'll adjust my goals. So if I'm not feeling so hot, I'll write, I'll try and write 500 words instead of a thousand. And it, it, sometimes it is so hard to write those 500 words, but it's worth it. And I also think it kind of depends where you are, because sometimes if you're between projects, you need time to let your next project kind of marinate. And sometimes, you know, don't, for me, it's important to know when to do some research. Research can be watching films and reading books and reading newspaper articles or, you know, um, going into an archive or looking at looking at pictures, looking at photographs. 
So I think it's important to acknowledge that some, sometimes writing isn't just about writing. There's a, there should be some research time in there as well. Um, but yeah, definitely during this time, it is just an incredibly insane, stressful time. I mean, I saw someone on the TV describe it as three, three uh, crises. So we're having a pandemic, which is a health crisis. We're having an economic crisis and we're having um, a social crisis because, you know, we're confronting the issue with systemic racism, not only in the U.S., but also um, in the U.K. and um, hopefully in other countries, you know, that exist. Um, and these are all really massive issues and um, it's just a huge amount for people to deal with. Some people are you know, massively in debt right now and they don't know how they're going to pay their rent and some people are living with their parents and it might be a really unhappy situation. I know if I'd been stuck with my parents for this amount of time, I would have kind of lost my mind. And I mean, genuinely, um, really, you know, it really would have, um, would have been, I think it would have really impeded my ability to write. So I think people just, yeah, need to be kind to themselves, but also, you know, sometimes, um, if you write, that can be a little bit of a therapy too. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I totally agree uh, with what you've been saying. We do have a question that sort of relates back to this, but that's the, the final question. Uh, we have one more just before then, which is um, you've worked on many different formats. This is for both of you, uh, both Claire and Alec. Um, You've worked on many formats, uh, web series, TV, short films. You've got documentary as well. Uh, and there's a feature in development. Um, what are the different benefits or drawbacks of those different formats for you personally? Like, what do you find is uh, sort of impacts and what changes them, really? I think every filmmaker wants to make a feature film. I think most people, most writers and directors, will choose to the ability to make a feature film over anything else. Um, and that's usually because it's more of a kind of a pure distillation of your own ideas and your own vision. And very often, you know, you're going to have written the script yourself or developed the script yourself with other people. Um, that might be the case with the web series or the TV series as well, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not usual. Um, so for me, my ideal would be to make feature films. Um, and I don't mean like a factory, like, uh, you know, Woody Allen, <laughs> you know, churning one out a year. That's not my interest. I don't want to just make for the sake of making. Um, but yeah, the other formats, TV and web series, really, you, you're not, it's not your own project. You know, usually you're a director for hire, and that's a very different experience. Uh, you might disagree with the direction that they want to take the project or they might be encouraging you to take the project in the direction that you want to go in and you're really excited about where you're headed and then as happens as happens and as had happened to me um suddenly they kind of throw a clangor at you like well we want uh to put vfx over the scene or we want to uh, have this person compose the music and you're like, well, oh my God, this is going to be horrible. Quite often it is. And that's 
you know, unfortunately your name still goes on it, but some of the creative decisions weren't yours and it's taken out of your hands. And then, you know, if you're directing for TV shows like, like Grey's Anatomy or something like that, um, you have to respect that you're coming into an established look and an established style and it's very well loved and you you know it's not about you being an artist or an author at that moment it's about you um working within the parameters of the show to give to give the audience what they want and to give your bosses what they want you know which is a great episode of tv so yeah it's just about kind of adjusting your expectations um yeah Awesome, Alec. Did you uh, did you want to speak about like uh, anything in particular on that, or um, or do you want me to move on to the last question? Uh, yeah, I'll just add. Um, Claire used a really good word, uh, just role. Um, I think that's the most important thing. Is just um, depending on what type of format you're on, um, and there's lots of things that factor into all of this. But um, whether you're working on a feature, or a web series, or commercial, I don't know. I mean, sometimes there's you know it's there's a lot of voices and sometimes your voice is to be an artist and sometimes your voice is to execute notes. Um, and there, and there's nothing wrong with either of those at all, but, um, it, it does change the dynamics. Um, and that's where it becomes a little bit tricky. Maybe, uh, just where it's like, you know, that can happen on a feature as well, where you're supposed to be more of an artist. And then, um, then you, at times where you're just supposed to be more of a, yeah, executing notes and um, trying to fulfill the vision of the producers um, and director and kind of managing those um, different voices and trying to, you know, keep everybody as, you know, happy as possible. So I don't know if that entirely answers the question, but uh, yeah, just your role and trying to figure out what that is and what, what calls for you. Because a lot of times it's just, you know, it's, it's listening yeah yeah no that's a, yeah totally get that uh that's nice thank you guys um and final question that we have written scripted question um so both of you uh are you current developing any projects in response to the current political landscape um not making a project about pandemic <laughs> i'm not making a project about yeah well i guess it's kind of got to do with the economic crisis i mean i think what we're experiencing now is a combination of a lot of, of problems that have been well maybe not with the pandemic but you know a lot of a lot of issues that have been bubbling away for a long time and suddenly this is kind of perfect storm that has brought them all up to the surface and and it's just a lot it's a lot for people to deal with um i do think there's going to be a glut of pandemic films after this I mean, I think everyone's saying that. Maybe there isn't because everyone's like, oh, we're all so over the pandemic. But there's going to be a few at least. There'll be definitely um, a lot of students. I don't think I it's really... <laughs> oh, yes. I don't think it's really my place to make a film about systemic racism or the civil rights movement. I think there are plenty of African-American and Black British people who um, would have a lot more to say about that than I would. Um, but I think, you know, I definitely am trying to educate myself more about American history and British history, British colonial history. 
and um, just be more aware of why we are in the place that we are right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, the project that I mentioned earlier, the, the one in Wales, um, that is a bit more of a response to the refugee crisis, but it's not, it's not a refugee story. There is a refugee character. And I think it's more that any of the social issues examined in that are more to do with maybe a little bit of the white savior complex and uh, maybe a little bit of, um, you know, how we, we fail those that we try and help sometimes, you know, maybe we kind of create situations that aren't sustainable. And it, it's like, it's hard to talk in the abstract and because it, it's something that I haven't even started writing yet. I've just written a treatment. I, I'm sorry that I can't really share any more than that, but there's definitely no, no, issues in there bubbling away. But for me, it's important that it feels, it's important that it feels authentic, like something I am genuinely engaged in. Um, rather than, oh, that's a cool hot topic. I'm just going to jump on that. And um, it's, it's also important that it's, it's entertaining, you know. It, it, at the end of the day, um, there should be an escapist quality to, to film. The escapist quality is just like pure action and pure entertainment, or whether it is something a little bit more delicate and thoughtful and, um, and just emotive, then, yeah. That's, so that's kind of where I'm coming from with it. But Alex, do you want to pitch in with any of that? Uh, I, I personally do not have anything right now. Um, uh, but uh, hopefully it's whatever Claire does next. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, I don't have any other um, questions specifically. Just uh, I, I just want to jump in and thank Claire um, some of the best teaching I've heard um, in a long time. Thank Alec, um, your teachers. Thank you for coming in and um, teaching all of us. Really, really appreciate your time. Really, yeah, thank you so much. Love your work. Thank you. No, thank you. It's been really fun. Um, I, you know, when you sent me the list of questions, there was one question that I think was skipped over. Uh, it says, if I can read it to you, Claire, your works take a lot of inspiration from serious real world issues. When exploring about issues that you do not personally face, how do you ensure that you properly represent them? And I think that's a really, really good question. And I think it's a really important question. So I don't know, do you mind if I just sort of yeah. take a shot at it for a minute? Yeah, that was, that was better okay. question. Um, okay, cool. Um, so I think it, it's really, important to have a personal connection to the story that I am creating and I think I would suggest that it should be important for everyone to do and um, for me with Salam having spent time in Palestine and made friends there I knew as I mentioned earlier that a huge fear for Palestinians was um, being forgotten by the rest of the world and when I was leaving for the last time I haven't been back in in 10 years um, many of my friends repeated the same thing and it was, you're going to forget about us, you're going to go away and never remember us and forget about us. And that's very kind of fatalistic Palestinian way of thinking. And so it was important to me to at some point um, come back and represent Palestinians in some small way, which is why the character of Salam is not just Syrian, but she's Palestinian diaspora in Syria. Um, and I think... Um, also, 
talking about like the personal connection to really big issues that don't affect me personally. Um, I don't know what it's like to live in war-torn Aleppo. Um, I have no idea what it's like to be besieged by bombs and just to be stuck and, and just feel like I've been forgotten. Um, you know, I just can't even conceive of that. And I don't know what it's like to live in a refugee camp. And I also can't conceive of that. Maybe if I volunteered in one for a hefty period of time, I would have um, a valuable insight. So I don't feel like I'm in a position to educate other people about something that I need educating about. But um, with Salam, um, I sort of approached it from a different direction. I, I do know what it is like to move to a new country that feels foreign, even though I do speak the language here. I do know what it is like to live thousands of miles away from people that I love and then to feel completely um, helpless and hopeless when things happen that are beyond our control. Um, so that was the uh, direction I approached the land from, you know, or at least one of them. It was, um, this is what I know. And so this is what I'm focused on in this story, if that makes sense to you guys. Yeah, yes. no, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That's that's a wonderful uh, wonderful thing for for our students to hear, Claire. Thank you. Cool. Thank you so much. Awesome. So yeah, I just want to really just thank you guys so much again for coming on today and being part of the uh, film production podcast. You're really you're you're teaching us so much. I've learned so much like in these la in this last hour and a bit <laughs> that you know things that I didn't know and things I've not considered before. So that's awesome. Thank you so much for that. Um, I know a lot of no, us. Thank you for having us on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's been so cool. Yeah, thank you as well. Um, yeah, it's it's it is a pleasure. Uh, you have no idea. It's very nice. <laughs> Yeah, um, I was just, I know a lot of our students had questions specifically for Alec as well. So maybe if we're lucky, we might get to see you guys again another time. <laughs> um, but yeah. Sure. Yeah, anytime. Awesome. Yeah. It's always great to hear from British filmmakers as well. It's so relevant to, uh, to our, you know, to, to people from Britain really to hear that, you know, there are directors from the UK that are still making great waves in, in America and are, are actually, you know, have great careers and stuff. And it's it's good it's good for them to hear it as well, especially, I think. So, yeah, thank you so much, guys. Thank you, so, guys. Bye. Thank you very much. This is where we'll end the podcast. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening in today. Um, it was Claire and Alec that have been on today speaking to us. Uh, I hope you guys come back. We've got some other cool things planned for the uh, podcast. And don't forget to check out the Instagram and uh which is us film production us underscore film production uh don't forget to check us out on spotify youtube all your favorite podcasting places yeah thank you see you later everyone thank you all for joining us thank you so much claire and alec yeah, thank, thank you. you okay bye thank you thank bye, you guys bye, bye.